So we will begin. There's handouts up here, or you may have already received one from Pastor Paul. So let me pray, and then we will jump in. Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thanks, God, for grace given already today. And uh, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have now to uh, focus our thinking as we uh, dive in again to uh, parenting as our hearts, Lord, as parents are uh, well exposed as we seek to understand better our children's hearts and understand, Lord, how you give grace for both of us. So I pray that you would give us lots of grace. Clarify as we need that. Help us, Lord, I pray. And we'll trust you, Lord, for uh, what happens. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, uh, I'm going to do a quick little review from last week. Again, there are uh, handouts there. Uh, for those of you, uh, perhaps if you weren't here or if you were, last week we began to look at really God's view of the family. And remember, we talked about the family as a picture of God, that uh, the family is a way of knowing Him and His plan of salvation, that God intends to show something through the parent-child relationship, something of His character, something of who He is through that primary relationship. And so having children provides an opportunity to, to show off those things in the home. It shows that we can have kingdom priorities rather than living for ourselves. So the, the family really is a picture of God. The family is also a picture of the gospel. And when we tell people about uh, this amazing news that a heavenly father has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we could become his adopted children, I mean, that, that is, in fact, the best news in the whole world. And when we think about being God's adopted children, it's not that we were lovable. That's not why God adopted us. In fact, we were rebels. We, wanted, we were rebellious children, all of us. And so we'd like to assume then that, at least on a human level, that people kind of get this, that they understand these kind of basic types of relationships, but that's becoming increasingly rare, uh, and that assumption is increasingly difficult to make because many of us come from broken homes, and many of us come from homes where a faithful father was, was not the norm, or siblings that, well, they definitely had their moments, all siblings do, but siblings that actually did love each other, that, that's not the norm easy, either. So Satan is, no doubt, attacking the family. And perhaps at no time more than even today, in our day, and in one sense it seems like he's having a field day with our families, isn't he? Because we're, like we said last week, we're, we're now redefining what, what is a family, what constitutes a family, who gets to make that decision. Uh, men and women now, at least culturally, are just interchangeable parts. It doesn't really matter. So what is, what is Satan up to? Like, what's underneath of all that? Because his, his goal is obviously destruction, and it's, it's more than even just to distort the family. Satan's goal is actually to blur the gospel. That's what he's up to. Confuse people. Confuse people about really what is the goodness of the gospel. Make it be something other than what the Bible actually says. And a way in for him, and a huge way that we see that happening is as he distorts, distorts and disintegrates the family, sometimes beyond all recognition, then the gospel can be as inaccessible to people as possible. 
That's what he's after. So it brings a seriousness, in other words, to, to what we're talking about here as we think about our family, families as a picture of God and families as a picture of the gospel. So that's why we don't scorn families. We're not idolizing families. We're not worshiping families. We're not slighting families. We're not saying they're not important. But instead, we want to build up and treasure and guard them. Okay, and all that is by way of review uh, from last week. We then looked at the place to start as parents, which is our hearts, because our hearts are actively involved. And so we looked at, uh, we, we at least asked the question, right, how, how gospel-centered are we as parents? I think we'd all say, yeah, I want to be gospel-centered. Uh, and perhaps we have some work to do there, too. Threw up a chart there, which is just helpful in terms of, okay, that, that's probably my MO, that's maybe where I'm weak, this is where I need to grow, this is how I need to talk to my spouse this week, and make it a matter of prayer. We all have areas to grow in that. Uh, and we closed with some, I hope, some uh, gospel encouragement last week to, to not give up. And so the fact that you're here this week means that you're not giving up, so good on you for being here. So this week, uh, here's what we want to do, and I'll follow the outline here. We want to look at really the biblical goal. What are we actually after? We want to think a little bit of, of, of addressing our children's or child's heart here, addressing the heart. And then, again, we want to take a look at our hearts because our hearts are actively involved in this whole parenting process. Now, I mentioned last week, if you Google on Amazon, you know, parenting books, you're going to come up with 60,000 plus resources. But many of you, probably all of us in here, have read some books, we've read some blogs, we've listened to some podcasts on parenting. So if I were to ask you then, like, what's the word on the street? When you're talking to your friends, maybe Christian or non-Christian, subject to parenting comes up, and if you were just to say, like, well, what is the goal here? Or what do you think is the goal? What should we be after as parents? What are the, what are the kinds of answers that you hear? Say it again. Okay, yeah, so that's the practical, like they need to move out at some point. Okay, that, that's the, our goal is to get them to move out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, like, well-adjusted, they're not going to embarrass me, they're not going to end up in jail. That's the goal. <laughs> I mean, that is one of the goals. I mean, that's important, so we're not going to say it's not a goal, okay? But, but if that's the only goal, well, we, especially as a biblical parent, we're, we're missing the boat there. Any other common uh, interactions or, or things that you hear about parenting and the goal? Okay, that's a good one, Jeff, yeah. So what I'm doing here to raise them is want them to be happy because that's the end goal, yeah. Yeah, you hear that a lot, don't you? Yeah, all right, so once they leave, they fly. That's the goal, okay? So it's, it's all of those, that's, that's what we hear. And look, is there, as a parent, yes, there's like a kernel of truth and all that. Of course you want them to be well-behaved, well-adjusted, you want them to have a bright future, and so on and so forth. But all of those things actually fall well short of really God's ideal. And if, we're, if that's all we're focusing on, we're missing 
a huge, huge part. So we do need to ask the question, you know, what is, what is our objective here as parents? What are we really after in our parenting? If we don't have the right goal in mind, well, we're, it's going to be real hard-pressed to actually get there or to make headway. So what are we seeking to accomplish by God's grace in our role as parents? This is on your out, outline here, really the biblical goal of parenting. In one sense, the simplest way to answer that question is, in fact, well, the goal of parenting is the glory of God because that is the goal of all of our lives. So what does that look like as it relates to parenting? Well, I think we could say then that the, if, if the goal is to glorify God, one of the ways we do that as parents then is to raise worshipers of Jesus. That glorifies God. So when we think about our kids from an early age, we want to think, this is, this is a weighty task. What am I doing here? I want to raise Jesus worshipers. So when you, you parent your four-year-old and your 17-year-old, you, you want them to still be following Jesus when they're 27 and when they're 46. Now that can only happen by the grace of God. But God calls us as parents to be really primary in their life, primary sharers, bringers of this gospel of grace. And it's only through the gospels of grace that our kids will be changed. This was uh, several years ago, probably it was before Becky and I had kids and I was talking to a friend of mine who was, he's, he's uh, probably 15 years older than I am, so his, he was right in the thick of it, and I just remember we just got talking about life and parenting, and I don't even remember, I don't think I actually asked him, like, okay, so tell me, like, what's your goal? But it was one of those conversations where it's just, it just came up, and he just said, you know what I really want most for my kids? I want Christ for my kids. And just Maybe it's just that moment, it was the way he said it, but that's just always stuck with me. He's like, man, I just want Christ for my kids. And that's, that's what we want, don't we? And that's you know, Romans 8, 28. You know, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's will for his children. So we, we want Christ for our kids ultimately. Everything else after that, we can deal with. We want Christ primarily for our kids. So, so what does that mean then? Well, we want to be painting then such a, a big picture of God in our homes about his glory. And we want to be talking about his, his greatness. And we want to be talking about his wonderful works and creation and redemption and how he deals with rebellious children such as we all are. So we ultimately, as we paint this just grand picture of God, we're, we're enlarging our kids' view of who he is. And frankly, sometimes the place to start there is parents. We got to have a big view of God. And it has to start with us. But as we do that then, we begin to see then that our, that our goal then actually becomes way more, isn't it, than just well-behaved. Please don't go to jail. Don't embarrass the family. It's not just about being happy. But it, it's, it's much more bigger than that. You know, and it's not even raising kids that are, are you know, know every they're going to win Bible trivia. That's not it either. Really, the, as we zoom out a little bit, the goal here is that more and more, it's not just our kids, but it's the coming generations, right, would not forget God, but they would set their hope on God. And that's Psalm 78, verse 7. Just hear this, that the coming generations might put their hope in God. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, 
and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So you see here then that it even goes just beyond our own kids, but to the next generation, and the generation after that, and the generation after that, that they would put their hope in God. So you think about your grandchildren, perhaps some of you, or even your great-grandchildren. I mean, what an incredible legacy that would be, that your kids, your grandchildren, Lord willing, your great-grandchildren would one day put their hope in God. That's what we're after. So one of the ways, again, that we can answer this as we think about a biblical goal for parenting is that, look, as, as Christians, we want to be faithful in this. We want our children to one day know Jesus, to worship him, to more and more be conformed to his image. That's what we're after. Now, with, with that foundation, and again, we do need to have that foundation. And here's the thing. It, this may require some conversation and interaction between husbands and wives. Maybe you've just assumed that, or maybe you haven't explicitly stated that, but just that foundation can also change practically. There are a whole lot of practical implications, which we'll draw out today some and probably next week as well. So that may be just a place to start there. It's just to say prayerfully, husband and wife, what, what are we really after? Does our parenting this last week actually reflect that? We're not just trying to make our kids happy. We're not just trying to keep peace. We're not just trying to make sure that you know, they're not kicking Jimmy on the playground, whatever the case may be. But it's something bigger than that. And God meets us in that. So with that goal, that's, again, that's, that's where we're aiming. That's what we're aiming for. There are a whole lot of other practical goals as we think about parenting. And so I, I want to really focus here really on one. And I think it's a main one, okay, as we think about why do we do this? What's the purpose behind this? And I think a more practical reason then is that we want to help our kids. We need to train our children to live under authority, to live under God's gracious, godly authority. And as parents, we have that responsibility. So remember last week we talked about the fatherhood of God, right? And the fatherhood of God is our model in understanding how we are to parent ourselves, how how we are to be as parents. So as, as parents, we want to image God, right? That's our goal. So what does that mean? Well, among other things, it means then that our children, right out of the womb, our children need to learn what it looks like, sounds like, feels like, what it is to experience living under authority. We are under authority. We exist as children under God's authority, as our Heavenly Father, so we want to teach that to our children. Now, that is not a lesson that they learn automatically or in one year or in 10. And so this is, like, just think about this as, like, just keep hitting repeat, repeat, repeat. It's just, it's just in different seasons of life, it looks differently, uh, broadly speaking. So, like, from birth to, I don't know, let's say age five, those are prime years where you are establishing your God-given authority in the home. Yes, graciously, but godly. So you're, you're really teaching obedience, what that looks like. Kids get a little bit older, let's say from 6 to, to 12, right? You want to help them grow in character then. Uh, and then, you know, 13 to the rest of their earthly lives, you're still helping them grow in character. But in the end, what's the goal? Well, we want our children to become worshipers of God. 
that by God's grace, they might serve alongside of us in a church like ours. So our parenting really prepares our children to live under God's gracious authority. That's, that's what we're after. And so obviously, if we're careless about obedience, well, we're, we're not preparing our children very well at all to live under and to sit under authority. But, but if we're learning, and we do need to learn, we're teaching our children to obey and obedience from the heart, then we're better preparing them to obey God and sit under his authority. So that's, that's kind of the million-dollar question. Well, how do we do that? How do we train our children to actually do that? Can we even train our children to, to sit under our authority because we are under God's authority, that they would have a sense for what it means to relate to a God that has authority in their lives and over them and to obey from the heart? And that's kind of the bullseye here, obeying from the heart. Now, ultimately, salvation is a gift from God. So salvation in your kids and mine is, is, doesn't come about because you followed the parenting plan, every last bit of it. Just follow the plan, kids will be saved. Salvation is a gift from God. So we can't change our own hearts, let alone change anybody else's. But yet God has given us an important role as parents. And so we want to think about that role a little bit more today as we think about teaching our children to live under uh, authority. There's lots of resources that are helpful here. I was reading this last week. Uh, this is uh, Ted Tripp. He's, this was probably 20 years ago now he wrote this book. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. I think he hits the nail on the head here when, when he says, oftentimes in our parenting, we, we just focus on the outward behavior. That's sort of all we can see. We're kind of blind to everything else. It's just outward behavior. And he says, because usually we're just reacting to something that we just saw, which parents, that's, that's what happens, right? We, we see some bad behavior. We don't like it. What do we think? Stop it. <laughs> yeah, stop it. Play nice. Quit it. Quit kicking your brother, whatever. And obviously it makes sense, as Tripp says, because it's the behavior that actually got our attention in the first place. So I was thinking about this this last week, and especially when our kids were younger, you know, we think about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I just began thinking, you know, probably more often than not, the time when, like, I probably entered in and tried to teach them that was when, do you think? Yeah, when they're not following it. So it's like, okay, there's bad behavior, stop that. Of course, we want to correct the bad behavior. That's, that's a big part of of what parenting uh, is all about. Yet, that's not all we want to do, okay? We're aiming here for our children's heart. So if our goal, right, if our goal is really imaging adoption as children of God, then, then we're not just gonna simply start and stop with bad behavior, because that falls short of what God's after, right? Is God only interested in in the outward, the external, in our lives? No. Okay. Now, is the outward and external important? Well, yeah, it totally is. Think about like just a supper. And, you know, if there's a lot of, you just want to get through a supper sometimes, right? So, of course, it's important. But that's not all that's important. And so we, we want to be, as parents, concerned. We want to be most concerned because God is most concerned about your heart and mine and about our children's heart. So it's not just the what of behavior is what I'm saying here. It's also the why. 
And if we miss the why altogether, right, where the behavior came from, we're actually going to miss our kids' hearts. And that's what's most important here. That's where change, that's where the gospel goes. I'll talk about more, that more in just a minute. So we want to look at the importance of the heart. Okay, this is on your outline here. Three points here. The importance of the heart. So wh- why is it foolish, let me ask you this, to, to focus only on behavior? If that's all we're concerned about, see bad behavior, stop it. Which, by the way, a lot of parenting books, even so-called Christian parenting books, it's easy, as you read this, they, they can either bypass the heart or just minimize it altogether. And so you end up thinking, okay, here's a list of 10 things I got to do so that we can enjoy a nice, peaceful home. Why is it foolish if you're only focusing on what you see on the behavior? Did everybody hear that? One more time louder. Obedient children, can, their hearts can be a million miles from the Lord. Obedient adults, their hearts can be a million miles from the Lord too. Okay? I mean, that's, that's just hitting the nail on the head. So, to, to borrow a term from uh, medicine here, the behavior is the presenting symptom. It's actually not the disease itself. If you love your kids, you want to get to the disease because that's the part that could kill them. And that's, again, that's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a cavalier in that language either. Uh, but stick around for the sermon and you'll get a better idea of what I'm talking about. To switch metaphors then, Tripp says it's like having an apple tree in your yard that only produces spoiled apples. And so as a parent, you think, okay, that's not good. I don't like that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy new apples and I'm going to like staple them to that apple tree. And then you think, okay, that's good. The neighbors will think we're, that's a great apple tree. You look out and you think, that's good. It's good. But is that good? That's not at all, right? We, it didn't change the nature of the tree. That tree's still going to produce bad apples unless we actually deal with the root, what's underneath. And so our children's behavior is telling us something about their hearts, right? Because all behavior flows out of the heart. And so point A there, the heart is the control center of behavior. Behavior reveals the heart, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. A lot of times, I think you probably heard me say this, we live inside out. We live out of our hearts. So our lives flow out of our hearts. Our hearts reveal what we really desire, what we treasure, what we value, what's important to us, what we want in that moment. Comes out of our hearts, right? This is what we're hoping in. So that's why Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. That's what's in our kids' hearts. Like, who put it there? How did it get there? These are some of the questions. Like, what? And again, that's where we've got to put our good theology to work all the way back from in Genesis, right? It's not the way it's supposed to be, but this is what we're dealing with. It's in our hearts. So the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, Jesus said, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks, Luke 6, 45. So there are all kinds of implications for our parenting then, aren't there? So when your kids misbehave or multiple kids are misbehaving at the same time, oftentimes as parents, we, uh, kind of our knee-jerk response is, stop, 
this is, I don't have time for this, that is super inconvenient, or you are an enemy, right? Maybe we're not so subtle to, or to say that, but sometimes we can think that. And obviously, is, it can be inconvenient, and as we think about sin, well, that, that is an enemy, sure. But, but the outward behavior really is saying, here's what's going on inside of your child's heart. So if you wake, you know, you, you pray as a parent, Lord, help me to learn about my child, help me to understand what's going on there, help me to speak into that, show me. And then the Lord shows you, usually when there's sin. You want to pay attention to that, you know, because that's, you're, you're just, you're, you're reading the guidebook here. So in one sense, God is answering your prayer. You want to get to the heart, okay? Now, oftentimes our parenting is only, and I, I would say that word, only or merely or simply designed to control behavior, okay? So sometimes, right, tendency as parents, there's bad behavior, we've got to discipline, we've got to walk through that. Sometimes we just think, you know what, I, I know I'm supposed to get to the heart, but I'm going to deal with that later. And when is usually later? Never. <laughs> A lot of times. It, it, we, things get busy, you move on, we got all sorts of things, right? So we actually miss those opportunities because right in that opportunity, when we see the disobedience, you know, can we actually slow down long enough to say, okay, the Lord is revealing this. What is, what, what is going on inside their heart? What, who or what are they worshiping right now? And, and I think this, I mean, if we're honest, as parents, this is convicting. I was thinking about this this last week. It's super easy to just, as parents, right, we, we got the goal, we want to get to their hearts, but it is really, really easy and subtle just to slip into behaviorism when we're parenting, right? Because we see it, we want to fix it, we want to move on. But obviously Jesus, I mean, he rebukes the Pharisees for honoring God with their outward behavior. Man, they towed the party line. You looked at them, they're holy, they're pious. They must love God. But actually, in their hearts, they were rejecting him. So again, when we focus only, only on outward behavior, you know, we, we don't want to encourage our kids to be Pharisees. So, what am I saying? This is point C. Of course, we must control behavior, okay? But that's just not the whole story, all right? And that's the point. So, again, husband and wife, if you're able to do this, these are the kind of conversations that maybe a class like this will spur. We want you to begin to have those conversations. If you're not, are you on the same page with this? Just think about this last week of your parenting. Where have, man, did, did, we, did we miss the heart here? Where did we miss the heart? Why did we miss the heart? Maybe we were too focused on just the external behavior, right? Or maybe not even focused enough. So th those are areas of growth. But again, I'm, I'm not, what I'm not advocating is trying to reason and just, you know, with your child, just have endless conversations about their hearts. You can go off the other end, too, and you never actually do fix or work on the behavior. So the behavior must be corrected, but I'm simply advocating we want to go beyond that. More so, we want to go deeper than that, okay? The behavior is a symptom. What's going on inside the heart? Because that's where the gospel goes. And again, our greatest goal as a parent is what? We want our kids to know Jesus. We want them to understand the gospel. So this is from Ted Tripp. What must you do in correction and discipline? You must require proper behavior. God's law demands that. You can't, however, be satisfied to leave the matter there. You want to help your child ask the questions that will expose the attitude of the heart that resulted in the wrong behavior. 
How does his heart stray to produce this behavior? In what characteristic ways has his inability or refusal to know, trust, or obey God resulted in actions and speech that are wrong? So again, we want to correct the behavior, but if we want to image God, right, then, and lead them to Christ, we have to go beyond that. Now what Tripp says there, and again, if you have kids in different age categories, obviously those conversations look different, right? Real young, those are short conversations. I made the mistake when our kids were real young, I felt like that was every opportunity for a sermon. And that didn't go over real well for anybody uh, at all. So yeah, when they're two and three and four and five, they don't need a sermon. You know, so as a parent, you have to know, okay, short, clear, succinct, small words, able to understand, you do it. When they're 15 and 16, that looks different. They still don't need a sermon, but, but you can flesh that out a little bit more. Again, as you drive towards their hearts and help them pay attention to their hearts. So let me just give an example here of, and admittedly, this is, this is maybe younger, so let's Let's say uh, six-year-old, six-year-old Mikey. Let's call him Mikey. So you're at the supper table. You got maybe a couple other kids there. All right, you have you have high hopes for supper. All right, but six-year-old Mikey is interrupting at the table. Just keeps interrupting. Right. So what do you do as a parent? You've already told him. At least let's assume you told him once. This is one of those moments, right? Where okay, in the moment. If we're tracking, we're seeing, okay, Mikey's not just saying stuff and being rude for no reason. Something's going on inside of his heart, okay? Need to pay attention to his heart. But I also really want to eat because I'm hungry. So what does that look like? What do you do? I mean, there's, there's probably several options, right? Maybe, maybe you think, I'm going to teach Mikey a lesson here. So I'm going to have the three other siblings just interrupt him. Go ahead. Show him what it feels like. I wouldn't do that. That'd be the wrong answer. All right, what about you're having ice cream for dessert, so you say to Mikey, okay, I'm going to take away your ice cream. What do you think? That, that might be, I mean, you know, it's not a terrible idea. There's a consequence for that. Maybe, maybe Mikey says, man, I, I really want ice cream, so I'm not going to say another word because I really want ice cream. Or, again, so you can see, okay, we're, we're still dealing with surface there. Or what about saying, look, and it's that conversation, Mikey, if you keep doing this, you're going to be disciplined, you know, and you press in there and you say, look, Mikey, is your heart overflowing with love right now? Like what, what? and yeah, it's a six-year-old, and you can frame that however you want to, but are you loving your siblings right now? Are you respecting mom who, let's say, made this meal and da-da-da-da? I mean, there's opportunities there is what I'm saying. So even in just simple things like that, a lot of times we can just bypass that, knock it off, Mikey, I'll deal with you later. I think there's a better way there, okay? So we want to lead our children to Christ, image God in their lives. We're not just concerned about Mikey not talking. We want to view that behavior as really evidence of what's going on inside of Mikey's heart. And so, yeah, that may require then after supper, in fact, I think it will, probably a conversation with Mikey. Hey, let's debrief here, you know, at supper. Let's walk it through in a six-year-old way, here's what I understood, or in a 16-year-old way to help him understand or her understand what's going on. Uh, okay, we've got to keep moving here. A couple questions here, 
And uh, some of you, by the way, I mean, you can put more questions in there. Some of you have emailed me questions, which is great. You can continue to do that. Next week, we're going to have basically all Q&A, so you can keep those questions coming. I'd encourage you to get those questions in the early part of the week, uh, if possible, so we can kind of sort through that. Um, but I think somebody asked even this question. How, how, basically, how can I expect obedience from the heart? I know that's what we're after here. If my children aren't Christians, you know, they can't keep the law. So is there a new standard? What do we do? And that's a great question. I know we'll be talking about it more next week, but I want to just give you just a way forward here, and I'm quoting here from Tripp. I think he does a helpful job here. Uh, it's a bit longer quote, so let's just hang with it here. Parents sometimes give children a keepable standard. They think that if their children aren't Christians, they can't obey God from the heart anyway. For example, the Bible says to do good to those who mistreat you, but when children are bullied in the schoolyard, parents... Well, we tell them to ignore the bully. Or, or worse, parents tell them to hit others when they are hit first. So this is non-biblical counsel. It simply deals at the level of your child's behavior and drives children away from the cross. It doesn't take grace from God to ignore the oppressor. It doesn't take supernatural grace to stand up for your rights. To do good to oppressors, however, to pray for those who mistreat you, to entrust yourself to the just judge, that requires a child to come face to face with the poverty of his own spirit and his need for the transforming power of the gospel. Two huge things there. Poverty of his own spirit and his need for Christ. That's really what he's saying. So the law of God is not easy for natural man. Its standard is high. It cannot be achieved apart from God's supernatural grace. God's law teaches us our need for grace. So when you fail to hold out God's standard, you rob your children of the mercy of the gospel. So do you get what it, the drift there? So we want to get to the heart of the behavior. That's essential to getting to the heart of the gospel. So we're not reducing standards here. We want to help our children see that, yeah, they're not able to keep, none of us are able to keep God's law. That's why we need a Savior. That's why they need a Savior. And that's where you're getting to the heart then. So, so we don't want to rob them of the mercy of the gospel by just, here, here's rules, follow the rules, and we'll call it good. And that's not it at all. So those are gospel opportunities, in fact. Uh, B, do I do this every time they disobey? Sometimes, I mean, we, Becky and I had this conversation for many, many years. Uh, okay, like, well, I want to get to the heart. I want to address the heart. But sometimes you actually have to get out the door. And you, you do need to leave. And so uh, the answer, like, do I, do I do this every time they disobey? Well, realistically, mostly, yes. But, but again, we want to strike a note of just realism here. Right? There, there, there are going to be those moments, you know this, when... You, you have to get out the door. You gotta get to school, you got a doctor's appointment, you gotta do things, and so maybe there's been a lot of disobedience. You're, you're late for church, let's say. Child understands the heart issues. So yeah, it, it may be a very short conversation. It may be the conversation on the way to wherever it is you're going. You can still address the heart in that, right? Uh, and that's, I mean, children, especially young children, the, the repetition is really, really important there too. So, I mean, again, if from an early age, as you're training your children here, they're going to be familiar with the language. They're going to be familiar. So it's not like when you talk about the heart, if the first time your kids kind of hear you talk about the heart, they're 13, that's going to be a challenge. That's why we're saying, really, from, from early, early stages in the child room, you want to help them have those categories to at least think about that so you can have those conversations. But let's be honest here and Every one of those sorts of conversations that doesn't happen in 
when everything's quiet and you know you have lots of time. Sometimes those conversations are on the fly, and the Lord works with that. He gives grace. How about this? Okay, that sounds like really hard work. I want to get to the heart, but I'm not seeing little. I'm not seeing much fruit at all. Kind of want to quit. Can you encourage me? Yes, I hope so. Uh, some, some of it is it's learned. It takes practice on our part as parents. So it's not like you, you know, you, you get married, you have kids, and suddenly you turn into this parent who always knows how to get to the heart. God uses our, our sin even and our failures to do good. Uh, moms, especially if you're a stay-at-home mom and you've got especially little ones at home, I mean, there, there's a lot going on there, and it's super easy to forget the heart. You feel like you're disciplining all day long, and the reason you feel like you're doing that is why? Because you are. You're absolutely doing that, and you're trying to get to their hearts. And, and maybe, you know, it works well. You're kind of encouraged with the seven-year-old. Okay, I think that was good. But then the four-year-old, like a minute later, and you're just dejected. And it's like, this is, this is, not, this is not working. That's normal. That's, that's actually very, very normal. And so, I mean, you can be encouraged because the Lord sees what you're doing. The Lord knows and he gives grace in that moment, right? He's not asking you to do this perfectly either. He knows you're not. So you need to receive God's grace. And husbands, if you work outside the home, you're getting home then, this is where you got to be prepared to say, okay, when you walk through that door, that's when the real work of the day, that's the most important job you're ever going to do when you walk through that door, right? So yes, there are times when you don't, you just know when you walk in that door, you're, you're on, and you need to be on. And if you're not, that's your sin. Right? So, husbands and wives help each other. Again, it's a long road. We want to take a, a, a large view on that. Um, but the Lord does give grace. Okay? So, don't, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Um, okay. Again, we're thinking about the importance of the heart. Um, again, the basic issue really is always what's going on inside of their heart. The basic issue for us, too, is what's going on inside of our hearts. Uh, and so just think about this last week in your life as a parent. Just think about your obedience this last week. I think of just a few situations and circumstances. Did you pout this last week in any way? Maybe did you, did you pull back, disengage because you didn't get your way or somebody was impacting, standing in the way of you getting what you really wanted in that moment. I mean, we say this with our kids, especially early, like, hey, seems like your heart is really fussy. You ever have a fussy heart, a greedy heart, a discontented heart? I mean, and of course, we're all saying, well, yeah, that's, that's me. So in a way, I want to just pivot here a little bit. This is where it can be super easy as parents then, we can kind of fall into this we might call it a trap, but we can subtly or not so subtly reduce our parenting down to three basic elements. Rules, correction, and punishment. Now, and if we do that, if that's all we think that parenting is, this is biblical faithful parenting, rules, correction, punishment, then we have we kind of morph into three different roles. So rule number one, this is on your outline, we become a lawgiver. 
You give your children rules. Don't get out of bed. Make your bed. Okay? We're a lawgiver. Rule number two, we're a cop. So you got to police your children for, well, for breaking the rules. Why are you getting out of bed? Why did you hit your brother? Or rule number three, or rule number three, a warden. You, you got to enforce the sentence handed out. Okay, now, now dad has to discipline you. Saw that behavior, that's not honoring, here we go. Now hear what I'm saying here. Every family, every family needs rules, correction, discipline, punishment. 100% amen and amen. And again, I want to encourage husbands and wives especially, these are the sorts of conversations that it's not just a one-off. Like before you have kids, before your wife goes into labor, you think, okay, we got our parenting plan, good. We got it settled, we handled that. We'll, we'll check in with each other when they're 18. These are ongoing conversations because a lot happens and a lot can change. And so in any one of those three, rules, correction, or punishment, in, in other words, discipline, husbands and wives always need to be checking in here regularly, sometimes daily, and sometimes multiple times a day. How are we doing on this? Where do we need to do over? Where have we fallen slack? Where... Where have we not really been honoring to the Lord in this? Those are the sorts of conversations in marriage that are honoring to the Lord, all right? That we need to take place here. Especially as you think about discipline, and I'm thinking here really from that early age, we think about spanking, we think about uh, the rod, the Bible talks about that quite a bit, which is a necessary and biblical tool to discipline, to train our children. And that can be abused, of course it can. Uh, and it's Super, super sad. But when done well, again, this is, we're talking about our parents' heart here, right? That, that actually gets to their heart. It's a tool that can open up their heart, okay? Now, again, that's, it's somewhat, it's, it can be controversial in many circles. And so if you're here thinking, okay, tell me more about that, we'd love to speak with you more about that. What I'm simply saying is that every family needs that. Rules, correction, discipline, Okay? But that's not, if you're looking at biblical parenting just in those three roles, then, okay, I'm either a lawgiver, a cop, or a warden. We'll switch it up here. We're missing the boat. We actually have, the Lord gives us more tools in our parenting toolbox that can be helpful to actually get, and necessary to get to our children's heart. In other words, things like encouragement and rebuke and entreaty, I'll talk about that in just a minute, instruction and warning and prayer. So if you look at a verse like 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and we urge you brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now think about that as we, and we want to apply that to parenting, to, to our role and responsibility as a parent. So we're not just thinking, okay, I got one of three things here. But no, we, we, have, we have more tools in the toolbox, so to speak, okay? So again, one of the things, I mean, this just happened a few weeks ago, actually. It was one of my kids was supposed to be doing their homework and just seemed like it's taken a long time and like an extraordinary long time, like, what are you doing? And, and so I, I didn't handle it real well because it was like, I, I think I pretty much said that, like, what are you doing? 
Like, you've been there. Like, how, like, are you daydreaming? What are you doing? And it happened that, again, like, I kind of went in for the kill shot, and it wasn't until kind of had that conversation that it was, it wasn't so much a laziness, it was just they needed help. They didn't really know what to do. They needed instruction and actually a lot of encouragement. And, you know, as a parent, man, you think, I, I did not handle that well. So there was an opportunity to say, I did not handle that well. Please forgive me. I, I totally bypassed that. I just made a lot of assumptions and so forth. And, and it's easy to do. So, I mean, that's, that's encouragement. These are, again, when applied to parenting, how about rebuke? What does a rebuke do? It censors behavior. Now, sometimes a child has to experience just sort of that shock, that alarm, that dismay at, at their bad behavior or, or their sin. So you think about, you, you know, your school-age child comes home from school and starts using words that you, you, where did you hear those words, right? You're not just going to ignore that, right? So it's Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I think this is in the category of, of the rebuke of, at least in my house, like slamming doors. That drives me nuts. And sometimes I'm the one that's slamming the door, (laughs) right? But it's like, okay, do not slam the door. Actually, probably a better example is, um, and and again, we don't do this perfectly, but like disrespecting mom, that's, that's a cardinal sin. Like, no, no, no. So there needs to be then, like in the moment, a wise, loving, but stern rebuke. That's, that's in the parent parental toolbox, right? How about entreaty? Now, that's not the only thing we're doing, right? Entreaty. This, this is actually a really beautiful word. It, basically, it's earnest and intense communication. It, it's, it's pleading. It's, it's even like begging. It's, it's the earnest pleading of a father and mother who sees their child, who understands the ways of God, who sees not a lot of good that's coming out of the heart. In the moment, they're the parent, you're, you're just bearing your soul. You're pleading with your child to act in wisdom. Like, don't go there. And so I think this sort of entreaty is probably more when they're older. I'm thinking, you know, junior high, high school, even beyond. They can be adult children here. So we're not talking about just foolishness or, man, you spilled milk. That's not really not the, that's not the time really for this sort of entreaty. Proverbs 23, 26, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. So you entreat when you see your son wandering closer to pornography or some sort of sexual immorality or uh, just you see a cold heart and they just want to walk away. That's the, the earnest pleading of a husband or wife, of a mom or dad to say, don't do that, come back, okay? Instruction, I won't take a lot of time here. It, it's kind of the example I just used there. Sometimes... Sometimes as parents, don't you think you, we can get defensive really fast about our parenting and like our kids kind of push our buttons. But sometimes if, if our kids, you know, maybe they disobey or we tell them to clean their room, but we haven't actually taught them, here's what I mean by that. Here's what that looks like, right? They, they need to be taught. They need to be instructed. Or, you know, if they don't really know how to handle the bully on the playground, they're probably not going to handle it real well. So we... There's all kinds of examples, but, you know, we, we, there is that time for instruction and just teaching, okay? That's right out of Psalm 78. How about warnings? Warnings are absolutely helpful. They help our children 
be on guard against a probable danger. So a warning's not just like a threat. And a lot of times we hear the warning and you think, I, that means I'm yelling. No. I mean, you think of a warning as, uh, and I'm sure this, this isn't unique to me, but he calls it merciful speech. It is, and that's what a warning is, merciful speech. It's the equivalent of posting a sign, like if you're driving on the road and, you know, it's the bridge is out. That's a warning. You want to pay attention to that, right? It's Proverbs 14:23. all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. That's a warning. What's the warning? Well, you know, you, you can't just talk about getting a job. You actually need to get a job, Right? Here, here's an example of a, another helpful warning. If kids are real young, you, you want to say, hey, it's nap time. Yesterday, you didn't stay in bed for your nap. You need to stay in bed for your nap. Otherwise, I'm going to have to discipline you if you get out of bed. That's a helpful warning, okay? Here's an example of, of an unhelpful warm, warning. Do you want a spanking? That's a rhetorical question, if there's ever been one. Uh, let me think through that, mom or dad. No. Okay. Or I'm going to count to 10, and if you're not here by the time I get to 10, then you're going to be disciplined. Also not helpful. What's the kid going to do? Typically. Yeah, nine and a half. So we're teaching them, okay, one through nine and a half really doesn't matter. We're just looking for nine and a half, right? And you see that. Warnings are helpful. We need, that's part of what we're doing here as parents to get to their heart. Again, all these things help to get to their heart. Rebuke, entreaty, instruction, warning, and prayer. Now again, prayer is not talking to your child, but it's actually talking to God, but with your child. So parents, it's just a a good reminder, you know, that, that you want to be praying with your child because as your child, as you teach them just from a very early age, they can go to their heavenly father. They have a wise, perfect heavenly father who wants to hear from them, who want, wants to know what are they concerned about, what are, what are the challenges, right? That's huge. It's also, uh, um, again, I can't remember where, this was probably at a conference too, but it was that they had a father and son, so like grandfather and adult son, and, and the guy just said, you know, one of the things I just, it wasn't like they had all these like long family devotions, they didn't hear all these things just growing up. He's like, I can't remember anything that we did, really. But you know what I remember? He's like, I just remember hearing my dad pray. And it, that, as an adult, like that 40 years, you know, that really ministered to him. And so it's, you know, don't underestimate just teaching your kids, yes, helping them pray, but you, husband and wives coming together and praying for your kids, that's, that's absolutely huge. Uh, I was reading uh, in uh, a book about Charles Spurgeon, his wife, Susanna, Charles was pretty, obviously he was really good at, at uh, kind of the family devotions. Here's what she said about Charles's prayers at the supper table. He seemed to come as near to God as a little child to a loving father, and we were often moved to tears as he talked thus face to face with his Lord. Now, none of us here are Charles Spurgeon. I'm pretty sure I have never moved my family to tears, <laughs> except if the prayer went way too long, probably. But, but we can love our God, and we can pray, and we can live that out before our children. And they can get an example of what that really looks like, that mom and dad are under authority, that mom and dad are people in need, that they're trusting in God, that they're living a life of faith, okay? All of those things. Time is really getting away. I got to go. I got to fly through this. 
Last thing here, teaching obedience. And what I really want to get here, as we think about then from the parent's perspective here, we've got some tools in our toolbox here. We want to get to the heart of our kids. What's going to be really helpful for us? What do we need to remember here? Okay, and there's what, six things here. From the parent's perspective, as we think about, and, and again, see these not as, not necessarily as rebukes, but as, but these are maybe ways that we need to learn and grow. This is how, husband and wife, you're, we're going to pray this week. Because maybe we're, we're not hitting the mark. We're hitting the mark on some of these, but this is the area of growth. It's a call to consistency, right? That's obviously super helpful, clear directives, consistent reinforcement. It really does confuse a child, especially a young child, when we don't follow through. So they actually learn. We're training them to actually not take seriously our commands. If I say this, but I never come around to doing it. And look, we all do this. And God gives grace, but is it a, is it a uh, we want to be able to grow in this. So consistency is huge. Here, here's the second one, a call to the same standard. This is really huge too. So maybe mom and dad, you, you want to reinforce the same standards of obedience. So let's say, here's an example, young Sally uh, reaches up on the counter for the cookie. Uh, dad laughs at that, allows it. Mom does not laugh at that. And George, Sally's brother, is watching the whole thing. George is confused. So now what's happened? Mom's not happy. Dad's in trouble. And George is confused. So it's really, that's on us as parents, right? We got we to make sure that we're regularly enforcing the same set of rules. Husband and wife are on the same team, right? Which, I mean, kids are smart. And they get it. And depending on the age, they'll tell you, well, that's not what mom said, or that's not what dad said. And so that's just an indication that mom and dad, there's probably some work to do there. Uh, oftentimes I've thought, okay, maybe I, I enter into a situation like three quarters of the way through, and I think, you know what, after it's all done, probably doesn't go to all that well. I think that 30-second that, that conversation with Becky would have been really, really helpful. That would have been helpful, okay? Call to the same standard, a call to training, Okay, and I know sometimes it feels like all we're doing is correcting poor behavior because sometimes that's what those days can be very, very long. But do you have some idea of how you might want to help your children grow in obedience? Okay, and some of these things, they're not, these are just wisdom things. They're not in the Bible. For example, you know, you want to teach your children when they're really young to have self-control. So you might say, hey, sit on this blanket for a little while, you know, a few minutes a day kind of thing. Well, there's nothing in the Bible, but it's just wisdom applied, right? So in the midst of everything else that we're doing as parents, there needs to be that time for training. A call to encouragement, 100% of our children need that godly encouragement. On certain days, it's super hard. You got to look. You got to ask the Lord for that. But can you, can you praise your children when they do something well, especially if on those days where you're spending a lot of time correcting, it's easy to let the encouragement drop off. You're frustrated. Discipline restrains bad behavior, but encouragement really reinforces good behavior. So just, I mean, think about it as your heavenly father. Like, we fail him all the time, and yet he gives us that encouragement, doesn't he? So notice when they do something right, they need to hear that encouragement. A call to discernment. We want to follow Scripture's guidelines. We're all after the heart, but you also want to learn about your kids. So if you have multiple kids, they're not all wired the same way. So just as an example, uh, one of your kids maybe 
maybe actually benefits from just a calming down time. Like before you give them the instructions, before you train them, super emotional, they just need, they need to calm down. Whereas another of your child, they know what they did in the moment, give it to them, they can handle it. So it's, it's just a call for wisdom. And really it's a call just, I, I want to be able to, Lord, see this as a unique person created in the image of God. If you have seven kids, they're not all the same. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. That's the wisdom of applying these things. Finally, a call to graciousness. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. Just think about the stuff that irks you as a parent. Maybe it's a boss or a colleague. What, what are the things that irk you? It's basically the, the opposite of some of the things I just said here. Someone who doesn't listen to you. Someone who just assumes. Someone who doesn't give you any help or any training. Someone who expects you to perform perfectly even though they haven't, they haven't taught you anything. Maybe someone who enforces rules inconsistently or, or they vacillate according to their mood, right? What we want to be thinking about is how patient is Christ with us? How tender is he with you as he cares for you? How does he respond on your worst days to your sins and sufferings, right? I don't think anybody here, if we're honest, we don't set out to be mean to our kids. But in the middle of the day, sometimes it's really hard when, you know, we've got to get out the door, there's things going on. It's, sometimes it's really hard to think about our kids that they're actually tired or they had a rough day and they do spill milk and they do talk back. But God is gracious in giving us warnings and he withholds punishments that we deserve. We've got to stop it there. Uh, again, there's two dangers. I think this will probably come up next week too in the Q&A. Legalism. You can leave here today thinking, great, got a plan, going to go to the heart, take no prisoners, no mercy. That would be one way to fall off the wagon. The other way would be say, okay, I want to get to the heart. That's all I want to think about. So maybe I'm turning into a consultant, you know, as a parent, so I just want to focus on fairness. And, and you just get sucked into a debate. And you, you never actually get to the, uh, the, the behavior. You're trying to figure out, man, what is going on? Well, that's the license part. Both of them are heirs. And this is where a wise, loving spouse, husbands, wives, you, you need to work together on this to be able to say, okay, are, are we falling off the wagon on one side? How do we bring it back into the middle? Okay, God's grace is sufficient, parents. Think about the, the things that trip you up in your life, the sins that you are still battling. That in, in the Lord's uh, grace has given you grace. You're growing. Well, that's the same grace that will help you and me in our parenting, right? Same grace. So parenting is a giant act of faith. So we, we pray, we seek the Lord, we wait, we trust, and we don't give up. Let me pray. Again, put your questions in there. You can email me, and next week we'll have a Q&A uh, for that. Father, thank you for uh, this time. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your care and concern for us as parents. Lord, you're after our hearts. You're after the hearts of our kids. So God, be gracious to us. Be merciful to us, I pray. Encourage us. Lord, there's lots that we need to grow in. Maybe just give us that one thing this week, Lord, that would, that would be really honoring to you. Give us the desire and the willingness to make that one change, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.